I just want to introduce Chuck and Taryn. I don't really think I need to introduce them. Most people know them. But for those that don't, they lead a multi-site church. They're a church that is planting churches as well. They're the area leaders um, in Scotland. And if, if I was just to say personally how, how have they had an impact on my life, I think their vision is unbelievable. Um, and it has stirred me and challenged me. And I, I just wonder before they come up, can we, should we just pray? Um, Lord, I, I thank you for them. Thank you for what you're doing in Scotland. Thank you for what you're doing in that church, in the other churches, multi-site, and how that is so in something far wider. Lord, and I pray for each and every person in this room for the reason they're here, for what you're stirring in them and embedding in them and implanting in them. Lord, I pray that you would feed it, you would grow it, and you would encourage it. So, Holy Spirit, we, we just welcome you. And say, do whatever you want to do in this in this time together. Amen. Thank you. It's great to be here. Uh, nice to see you all. I was a little bit worried that no one would come because I recognise I'm up against Pilavachi. Uh, so maybe you've heard his jokes before. Um, uh, uh, so like, my name's Chuck. I'm one of the leaders of City Church in Aberdeen. Uh, not even the best leader in City Church Aberdeen by a country mile. In fact, my wife, Taryn, who is here somewhere. Where are you, Taryn? Oh, right, hiding right at the back. She's at, she is the best leader in our church. And so whilst I'll do most of the talking, you have to recognise if you have any questions to ask, don't direct them uh, towards the front. That would be a bad mistake. Um, City Church now meets in seven different places every weekend. And uh, we have 11 weekend services. And if you'd have told me that seven or eight years ago, I would have thought you were completely off your head. Uh, that was never our dream. Uh, our dream has always been, up until very recently, to be one big church meeting in a nice glitzy warehouse, not dissimilar to this, uh, somewhere near the city centre of Aberdeen. And yet the Lord has rescued us. Uh, I think that's the, in his mercy, in his kindness, he's rescued us and he's provided a way through for us that is absolutely appropriate to where we are, to the city we live and minister to. Uh, and um, it's been the most glorious, amazing adventure. So uh, the plan for the next few minutes is we want to share a bit about our story. Uh, I want to introduce you to one or two other people who are leading multi-site churches around the vineyard in the UK. Um, and there may be perhaps some time to answer or ask questions. Let me just say up front, uh, I've never done this in less than five hours, and uh, that's not even a joke. So in reality, I'm just going to skim the surface. This is like a taster of what being a multi-site church could be like, and um, perhaps the most important slide out of these whole things is this one here. We're doing a whole-day training day at Riverside Vineyard in just under three weeks' time. Uh, if you can make it to that, and, and you know, the, the next 50 minutes or so is helpful, and you think, actually, I'd like to find out more about it, then we'd strongly encourage you to book in. There are already about 50 or 60 people booked into that. There's plenty of room for some more, and we'd love as many people as possible to come to that. We do about two or three of those a year in different locations. So if that particular one doesn't work for you, get in contact. Uh, this is um, our email addresses, and... and uh, you know, potentially we could come and do something a bit closer to where you are, or we can let you know at least about when when the other ones coming up would be. Um, but there's, that's the that's the really important slide of the whole thing. We'd love you to come to that. 
Let me just set one immediate ground rule for the next few minutes. Uh, you may find, as we share our story, that you're thinking, um, I'd hate church to be like that. Or, you know, I don't even theologically think that is church. Or you may have emotional responses to some of the things, some of the decisions that we've made or, or the journey that we've been on. And you may think, that's it. I couldn't possibly conceive of being a multi-site church because I wouldn't do it like that. And my response to that would be that there are literally thousands of multi-site churches all over the world. And there are quite a lot in the UK uh, and many more in other places, particularly in the US. And no two multi-site churches are the same. So in reality, if you don't like the way we're doing it, don't do it like that, is what I'm really saying. Uh, just take anything that we've got, learn from as many other churches and models as possible, and find your own way. Um, the concept of meeting in more than one place at the same time is only really an extension of multiple services in the same building. And that's the, the, the realization that we came to really early on. As soon as we had a morning and an evening service, that were two separate congregations that didn't mix with each other very often, those two congregations could have easily been 50 miles apart. Um, and so all we're doing really is extrapolating a multi-service model into multiple locations. And we think it's amazing and a joy and an adventure and also flipping complicated. Uh, and so we'll, we'll, we'll get to that, we'll get to that. Okay, so let me just tell you a bit about our story. Uh, our church is about 25 years old. Taryn and I joined the church about 14 years ago. And then we were pretty much just about to leave our church. Uh, and we, we'd been approved by the vineyard to plant a new vineyard church. And um, then suddenly the Lord rescued us. So, so there were a group of us meeting as the leaders of City Church. And we, we started to ask the Lord... Um, what is the deal here? Like, we've been roughly the same size, which at that point was about 100 adults and uh, 40 or 50 children and young people. Uh, we've been about that size for as long as anyone could remember, and we were unbelievably frustrated. And, and good people would come, and then good people would go, and uh, um, very, very few people were coming to know Jesus, which was unbelievably frustrating. Like, a trickle of people were coming to know Jesus. And, that, and yet there seemed to be so much potential in the church. And we had an, a, a meeting on a Tuesday night, which we really refer to as our divine moment. The Lord kind of intervened in our situation. He moved all the pieces around, a, a bit like reaching into a chessboard and just kind of moving everything around. And from that moment, everything changed. I won't bore you with any of the detail of what changed. You just need to know that God did something and has been doing something in our church ever since. And, and the truth is that since that moment, we've really been in the grip of God's grace. And it's his kindness. Um, and so the church started to grow and people started to come to faith. I think in that first year, 52 people uh, became Christians in our church. And, and that was like more than the previous 10 years added up together or something like that. And so we were like, wow, that's amazing. And, and every time we thought we knew what we'd done that made all the difference, we did more of that one thing and it made no difference whatsoever, <laughs> or it made everything slightly worse. You know, so so uh, we were absolutely clear that God was doing something. And, and every time we started to get a little bit big for our boots, the Lord just, it was like he just 
you know, tapped on the window and said, no, 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 it's something I'm doing. So, for example, we had a guy who, who had been part of the Lithuanian Mafia. Uh, I don't really know what that means. I don't want to know what that means. But uh, he'd had a checkered past, and he was walking along the road just outside our church building. We own one church building, uh, which is a former Baptist church building, about 100 years old in Aberdeen city centre. And he was walking past, and he was suddenly, instantly, spontaneously overwhelmed with a sense of his own shame, to the degree that he said to himself, I'm either going to have to throw myself under a bus, or I'm going to have to ask someone for help. And then he looked up, and he saw our, the sign on our church building, and he came and knocked on the door. He said, I just feel so ashamed. Is there anything you can do to help me with my shame? And we said, we're just having lunch at the moment. Are you really... No, we didn't say that. It's a joke. It's a joke. We said, yeah, yeah, come on in, come on in, come on in. Uh, and we said, there's absolutely nothing we can do to help you with your shame. But there is something that somebody did do 2,000 years ago that will obliterate your shame. And he became a Christian there and then. And that happens on a semi-regular basis. So what you need to understand a little bit about our story is that being multi-site, going multi-site, didn't make our church grow. And actually, what we're observing around the UK in particular is that churches that go multi-site to try and make their churches grow, it makes no difference. In fact, it just makes everything more complicated. Um, being a multi-site church is not a vision. It's a, uh, a kind of a vehicle to facilitate a vision. And so it's really, really important that you know who you are, what you're for, where you're going, what your values are, what you're dreaming of, before you even contemplate being multi-site. Multi-site isn't a vision in itself. It's just a vehicle for a vision. Um, and so the church started to grow, which was lovely, uh, but our building only seats... I mean, to be honest, this room is bigger than, our, than the main uh, room that, that we were meeting in. Uh, and we could fit about 350 people in the room if the fire officer was turning the other way. And, and some Sundays, it would be really busy, and then other Sundays, suddenly it wasn't busy at all. And, and we were like, what's the deal? You know, and, and one Sunday, it'd be like, you couldn't fit another single person in here. What's it going to be like next week? And then the next week, half the people had gone. And we were speaking to someone, and they were saying, oh, it's probably they're just coming in. They're thinking, there isn't a place for me here. And they're going somewhere else, or they're going nowhere else. And so we were just desperate to try and resolve that space issue. And so we started an evening service, which was a duplicate of the morning service. And that worked for a little bit, and then it filled up again. Um, and so by this point, as the leaders, and some of you guys will have been in this place where you're like, we need a new space. And so the first thing we did is we got planning permission, uh, which took years. To, to, to double the size of our sanctuary by basically knocking down the end wall and just building the same again with another balcony on the other side. And then we, went, we spent, well, a horrible amount of money doing that. Uh, and then the quotes came in for the builders, and the cheapest one was £1.8 million pounds, uh, to get us another couple of hundred seats. And it was like, this is, yeah, let's just not do that. Not that we had 1.8 million pounds anyway, but <laughs> let's not do that. And so then we started to look around at other buildings. We saw a casino. I really love the idea of <laughs> doing church in a casino, you know. They're always turning church buildings into nightclubs, or we're going to take one back for the kingdom. Um, and I could see myself on the local TV news. But we offered good money, and they sold it to somebody else. And then we tried to buy a warehouse just by the main shopping center, and we offered the most money, and they sold it to somebody else. And then we tried to buy a disused church from the Church of Scotland, and we offered good money, 
and they sold it to an oil company, which was just heartbreaking. There'd be people worshipping on that site for 900 years, uh, and it's still empty. This is like eight years ago. So uh, th this is a really stressful situation, and, and I must have looked at 300 buildings online, and I must have walked around 50 or 60 buildings, you know, like all kind and, and loads of places that would have been completely unsuitable. But you're just thinking, could we bus people there? You know, how would this work? And eventually, uh, I had a friend of mine who was pastoring a church down the road. They'd outgrown their building, and so they were meeting in a primary school. And so I said, so it was, you know, it's actually about, it was about this size, maybe. I said, so nobody sits in these seats on a Sunday. And he said, no, no, we're in the primary school. I said, can we come and sit in your seats on a Sunday? And he said, why would you want to do that? I said, well, we're just desperate. We'll just do an overflow service. So we had a 10 o'clock service in one building and an 11 o'clock service in the building down the road. And whoever was preaching would literally just run down the road at the end of the, at the, end of the sermon. And, and, and the worship would just be finishing in the next one. And then you just stand up and preach again. And we thought, well, we'll just do that for a little bit. And then we'll see how it goes. But on the very first Sunday, we knew it was the Lord. You know, I, I, I arrived, uh, you know, a bit sweaty, uh, you know, never done any exercise since I was at school. And, and I arrived there, and there was somebody who welcomed me on the door, and they said, hello, welcome to City Church. Is this your first time? <laughs> I said, no, I'm, you know, kind of a pastor. Uh, and they went, oh, great, well, uh, do you want a notice sheet? I was like, yeah, brilliant, thank you, yeah. And then I went in, and there were people um, leading the worship. I had absolutely no idea they played an instrument. I mean, to be honest, they barely did play an instrument. But they'd seen, they'd, they'd seen their place. They'd seen, uh, I'm needed here. And there was a guitar under their bed that was gathering dust. They rescued this guitar, and they thought, I'm going to bring this. I'm going to serve my church. I'm going to serve God here and make it happen. And then there were people serving me tea and coffee at the end. And I knew for a fact that they had um, been you know, on the back row slipping their way towards the back door, and suddenly they'd seen a niche, they'd seen a place. I could, I could serve here, they need me. Even though, you know, we, we stand up and communicate every week, don't we? There's gaps everywhere, you could serve any way you like, roll your sleeves up, but people think, oh, it just seems to be going pretty well without me, and so they don't. And suddenly they could see that they had a place. And more significant than all of that, people started to come to faith in this other building in exactly the same way as they were coming to faith in our existing building. And so we just knew it was the Lord. And, and we, like I said, we started to think, well, now that we're doing this in multiple services and we're already in multiple locations and we're just a few hundred meters apart, we could be miles apart. And this could be a way not only to reach this small part of Aberdeen city centre, this could be a way to reach an entire region with the gospel. This, you know, we could start to think about our parish as having half a million people in it. And we could start to think about their destiny being in some way li linked to our destiny. And we could start to think about how could we communicate the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to all of those people? How could we serve the poor in all the local communities in our region? I don't know whether you're familiar with where Aberdeen is, but it's kind of in the northeast corner there's literally a corner uh, and and there are half a million people who live there and we were saying lord are these our people is this who we're to reach so it's a really really profound moment to the degree that we were trying to buy a building at the time and taryn and i were on holiday and we started to pray lord please don't let us get that building we know we know there's something else for us and so we went back to the church and uh, this is this is where we had 
stolen everything we possibly could from any other vineyard church, especially Trent. And so we did a giving campaign as if it were for a building, only we did it for uh, going multi-site instead. And we said to our church, we're, we're not going to buy a big building. We all thought we were going to do that. We're not going to do that. What we're going to do instead is we're going to uh, uh, launch four new expressions of our church on top of the two that already existed over the next few years. And to be honest, I thought that would be quite cheap. You know, I was punching the air because I was thinking, this is amazing. Like, what do you need? Like an amplifier and a microphone, some fuzzy felt for the kids. You know, what, what, do, you, what, what do you actually need? But, but w when we started to think about, well, hang on, it still needs to feel like our church. It still needs to, you know, the, if we're spending X pounds per head on our children in our original building, then you're not going to want to skimp the kids in the other places and you're still going to want to have people pastoring the people and all of that. So what we decided was we would employ a pastor in every place and they would kind of lead the charge and they would uh, gather, this, gather the team and, and make it, mould it into a worshipping, missional um, community. And... and you know, we need to buy kit and all of that. So when we added it up, actually, to, to buy all of the kit and then to employ a pastor and then to add somebody to our accounts team because everything's getting more complicated and so on and so on, it added up to £446,000. So four new sites, £446,000. And to be honest, by this point, Taryn and I are thinking, oh, no, that's a lot of money. You know, at that point, we're maybe 300, 400 people or something like that. And, and this is an impossible amount of money. Uh, and so we stood up at the front of the church and we said, um, you know, we had a little booklet and, and, we, and we did our four-week series and all of that. And then we just said, listen, we just all need to give what we've decided in our hearts to give. And then however much money is then raised, uh, we'll do whatever we can with whatever we get. Uh, and we, we said things like, how do we know this is going to work? We don't. Uh, we could, you know, we could generate hundreds of thousands of pounds and we could spend it all in a three or four year period, have nothing to show for it. But we have to do it because it's obedience. And, and when we look back, we had all these prophetic words that suddenly seemed to make sense, you know, and um, including one about Abraham lived in tents because he was looking forward to a city whose architecture and builder is God. And we were thinking, how does this great big 1.8 million pound extension look like a tent? You know, just it's all wrong. And suddenly everything started to make sense. And so we stood up, we said that, we put a great big wicker basket at the front of the church uh, for the first service. And, and it was the most powerful day ever in the life of our church. People were, you know, whole families were going up, they were holding hands, they were weeping, the presence of God was unbelievable, and people were just putting in their envelopes, their pledges into this basket, and then, um, looking back now, this part wasn't the most sensible thing, but then I just literally picked this basket up, and I ran down the road to the next service, hundreds of, you know, thousands of pounds. Uh, no security guards, no security, secure corps weren't there with their, you know, special helmets, nothing. Uh, went to the next service again. People just put their thing in them, took it back on, uh, uh, to the other building for a Sunday night. And on that one day, people gave £441,500, which, number one, was an astonishing amount of money. But number two was almost exactly the number that we had asked for. You know, 
441 and a half. I think it was 99%. And it wasn't like we'd all gone around and said, right, you give this much, you give this much, you could afford to give more. We all just gave what we felt God had asked us to give, and it hit the nail on the head. And so it was, I mean, in so many ways, in our leadership journey, the most extraordinary miracle and confirmation of everything that we've believed that God has said. And so we were like, right, that's a green light. If ever I've seen a green light, that there is a green light. Let's go, go, go. And so within a, a few months, we, we'd um, employed a pastor. He and his wife had gathered a team, and then um, we bought all of the equipment, make sure it all plugged in okay, and then bought them a van and sent them off to start City Church in Stonehaven, which is about 15 miles south of Aberdeen. And then um, a couple of weeks after that, we moved one, the, the overflow site to a place a bit further across the other side of the city. Six months after that, we started City Church in Ellen, which is about 15 miles north of the city. There's not an exam at the end of this. Uh, then uh, and a year after that, we started City Church in Varuri. Uh, then uh, the year after that, we had, um, by this point, one more to do. And we felt God say, do two for the price of one. So about... Uh, what would it be, 18 months ago, we started City Church in Kingswells and City Church in Lawrence Kirk, which is flipping miles away. Um, so to drive from our house to get there is an hour and a quarter. Um, they're building us a bypass, though. So, you know, it's, <laughs> honestly, uh, it's, it's all good. It's all good. And, and so over the course of that time, the church has continued to grow. Um, and, uh, and more and more people have come to know Jesus. So we've grown about 100 people a year for the last 10 years. And uh, last year, 352 people that we know of submitted their lives, surrendered their lives to Jesus. So it's just been the most extraordinary journey. And like I say, we would never have chosen it. But it's just the Lord's kindness to us. And we call that vision spreading life together. So this is how we communicate it to our church, spreading life together. So this isn't spreading Sunday services together. If all we succeed in doing is doing pop-up church in a bunch of high schools around our area and then disappearing from view for the rest of the week, we would consider that to be an utter failure. We'd shut the whole lot down and we'd do something different. This is about serving the poor. This is about um, uh, loving the, each community uh, and, and this is about trying to put the gospel in front of every man, woman, and child in that area as we go. Um, uh, so spreading life and spreading life together. So we still have one charity number, one bank account, one leadership team. Uh, we, all of our staff work from the same office uh, at least two days a week. Even those people who are pastoring congregations that are spread out, they still come and work in our office together. We eat together. We laugh together occasionally. Uh, and um, uh, this is one team. So this is one church, absolutely 100% one church. And, and some people come into our context and they say, so when does this all get bust up? You know, when, when does this all get, when do these congregations get to be their own independent thing? And our answer to that is always, if you, if you stick around for a couple more weeks, you'll never ask that question again. <laughs> because nobody is, that's, in, that's not in any of our hearts. And now, to be honest with you, if in a few years' time, it was clearly what the Lord was asking us to do, then we wouldn't have an issue with that. And if Taryn and I were knocked over by a bus and the glue that kind of held everything together felt a little bit more shaky and it felt more sensible to um, just spin everything off, then that would not be the end of the world. We're not concerned about that. We don't feel insecure about that. 
but we can do so much more together right now. We can pool our resources. We can, um, you know, a, a smaller congregation uh, couldn't run a course for people who are struggling with mental health issues. It couldn't run a course for people and really help try to seek to help people with um, eating disorders. It couldn't, do you know, like it, it couldn't bring in the people who literally wrote the marriage book to do the marriage course. But as a bigger church, we can, so we, we pull our resources and we do all kinds of things together that we could never do apart. So we call it spreading life together. Um, so you're, I, and we didn't even know that multi-site was a thing when we started on this journey. So we've been doing it for six years. And obviously, you're all here because you've heard of multi-site. We, we weren't really in that place. We were aware that HTB was doing multi-site. Uh, and we were aware of one or two churches in the US. But, but we didn't really know. But you'll know now that lots of churches are experimenting with multi-site. And almost certainly, you'll know churches that have tried it and then changed their minds. And our observation is that there are a couple of distinctives about our model and the model that we see working in other places that, that seems to mean that things are more likely to last and become part of the DNA. And those are these two things. Number one, we're fully invested in this model. So we stood up and we said, we're not buying the big warehouse. That's no longer part of our story. We're going to put hundreds of thousands of pounds and everything we've got into being multi-site. We're not a church with other sites. We're a multi-site church. And um, we're 100% we're, we're committed to it. It would now be impossible for us, as far as I can see, to wind it all back. Because we have people who live miles and miles and miles away from where our original church building was. And whenever we do... Uh, prayer meetings in the middle of the city, loads of people say, well, I'm not coming to that, it's miles away. Uh, um, uh, well over two-thirds of our church doesn't worship in our original building. And um, maybe a third of our church has never set foot in our original building. So, so this, is, you know, th this is fully invested. What my observation or our observation is that lots of churches say, we'll just do an experiment. You know, we'll do once a month on a, on a Sunday afternoon in another community and we'll just give it a shot and, and we'll see and we'll just test the water. Our observation is that most churches that do it that way don't do it that way for very long. And they either say, no, no we're, we're going to go all in and do this and this is now who we are, or they say, do you know what, let's not, um, let's not do this anymore. It hasn't really worked. So that's the first decision, to be fully invested in what you're doing. And ultimately what that means is, if you're the senior leader, or, or you, you're one of the senior leaders of your church, uh, it needs to be your vision and your heart and your strategy. You know, it's no good your associate pastor or your... Um, you know, uh, one of your trustees saying, hey, we should try this. If you don't believe it and you're not willing to stand up and say, this is who we are now, this is what we're doing and mean it, uh, then no one's going to believe you. The second thing is, our conviction is, and this is about our context, so it may well be different. If you're in inner city London or somewhere really cosmopolitan, um, then that may be a different thing. Our Sunday night service has never really taken off in the way that Sunday mornings happen. And so, by and large, we believe that in our context, culturally, most people, if you, it doesn't matter whether they're Christians or not, if you were to say to them, when does church happen? 
You know, like when it, it doesn't matter whether you're a church goer or not. Just tell me what time does church happen? They would say, I think it's about half past ten on a Sunday morning. You know, and, and so um, anything that isn't roughly that feels not. It's like it's not really legitimate. You know, it's not a proper church, is it? It doesn't, it doesn't meet at church o'clock. Um, and so we're we're fairly convinced that in our context that that's where where it lands. And what we observe is, like I say. Um, churches that say, well, we'll just do once a month, Sunday afternoon, or even once, every, once a week, Sunday afternoon, um, it, it doesn't seem to get the traction that Sunday mornings do. And it seems easier, doesn't it? Because you sort of think, well, we could just multiply everything. We could just take the team that did the Sunday morning service, and we could go and do it all again in the afternoon in another location. Uh, and yet, actually, that isn't leveraging, leveraging, uh, making use of, the, the strengths of the model, which are that it forces you to reproduce leaders. And, and actually, just, just taking a team and doing it somewhere else isn't reproducing anything. It's just you know, re replacing them or repositioning them or something. You know, it's, it's not reproducing leaders. And one of the things that we absolutely love about this model is that there are always more gaps than people. And so we're forced to to bring people through and to give them opportunities that they would never have had. You know, we used to have 25 people on our worship team, and we now have 125 people on our worship team. We used to have 25 people serving in our children's ministry. We now have nearly 400 people who are uh, PVG. That's a Scottish thing. In England, it's called D DBS. DBS. I have no idea what it is in Denmark. I'm so sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, please check thing. Um, uh, you know, we have hundreds of people serving in all kinds of opportunities, and yet, if you just try and move people from morning to an afternoon, uh, that's cheating, and so it's, it's, it's not actually getting the best out of the model. So we believe, in our context, Sunday mornings are the way forward. How am I doing? What time did I start again? Oh, I've been going half an hour. Is that right? Okay. So, um, w w in our experience, there are three factors that are absolutely critical to whether or not a, a new site is going to succeed or not. And the first one is the site pastor or pastors. Um, again, we, we see some churches, they say, well, we haven't really identified a person yet, so we're just going to kind of um, you know, sh split the leadership team between the sites and people can just move about between them. Our observation, and we, to be honest with you, we've spent tens of thousands of pounds learning from some of the biggest mega churches in the world to try and understand what their model is and why they do the things that they do. And, and all of the wisdom is you've got to have a face for the place. You've got to have someone who people understand is their pastor. And, and um, it's a slightly uncomfortable thing, but, but essentially in our model, if you were to come to one of our sites and say, who's your pastor or who are your pastors, it wouldn't be Taryn and I. Uh, their primary contact, their focus for pastoral care is their site pastor. Uh, but actually, what we're looking for in that person is not 100% pastor. Because all they'll do is they'll start with their launch team, and they'll come back three or four months later, and they'll say, you'll never believe it. The launch team, it turns out they're all very broken and they, needed a they need a lot of care and a lot of pastoring and a lot of help. And you know, I've sent some of them for counseling and I've been meeting with them on a one-on-one -on -one and it's been exhausting. They're just so needy and it's just been really, really hard. Uh, and, and that doesn't achieve anything. Um, 
well, achieve something, but just not, you know, becoming a multi-site church. Uh, on the other hand, you don't want someone who's 100% evangelistic because they'll be brilliant at going out and, and meeting new people and gathering people and, and all of that. But, but in our model, we're starting a fully functioning local church on day one. And so you need someone who's going to create infrastructure, you know, who's, who's, who's going to make sure that it doesn't all, it's not all centered around them, um, who's going to be someone who can pastor, who can teach. And so we're looking for someone who's much more rounded. In fact, if we could use one word to describe the person we're looking for, it would be entrepreneurial. We're looking for someone who can start something and, and, and put bones into it as quickly as possible and build something. We're looking for a builder. Um, is pretty much where we're at. I feel like I keep standing in front of the screen. I'll just move a little bit. So not 100% pastor, not 100% evangelist, someone who's a strong communicator. Now, that's gone badly. I'll just not touch it. Um, it, it all multi-site models work differently, and you'll be aware of multi-site models, particularly in the US, where it's like a 100% video screen preaching, and... Uh, um, you may be aware of other models where you have people who rotate round and all of that. Actually, it doesn't really matter whether or not you're going to have these people preaching every week or occasionally. They've got to be people who could stand up in a group of people and communicate well, communicate vision, communicate, guys, this is what we're doing, this is where we're going, this is the pedal we're pressing at the moment. And so that we, in our experience, they need to be strong communicators, 100% loyal, so we're, we're desperately trying to avoid a situation where people say, um, yeah, I'll, do, I'll be a site pastor for a bit. And then a little bit down the line, they say, I don't really like our church. You know, how about I just spin our congregation off into a separate group? When we're launching new sites, we're saying to all of the people who are going with them, you're, you know, this is still city church in that place. It's still going to feel like our church. It's still going to be passionate about the things that our church is passionate about. And in, you know, in, in several years to come, you're still going to be part of city church. And so we're looking for people who, who, who love our, our church, who would you know, take a bullet for our church. And so I don't know whether, I think um, Paul said earlier on, but, but right now we're pushing hard on church planting and we have a vision to plant 21 churches in the next five years that we're working on at the moment. But, but that is a whole different game. You know, that's like people who, they don't need to love our church to go and plant a different church. But if they're going to shepherd our people and we're going to entrust our, our sheep to those shepherds, then they have to love our church. And we could talk about more, more about that at length, but we don't have time. Teachable, respected in the community, so obviously, you're going to stand this person up one Sunday and say, we're starting a new site in, well, wherever, and, and um, we, we want you to all pray about going with, going with them. And we, we want people to say, that makes so much sense. That's so brilliant. They're such great people, rather than, um, do you know them? You know, have you seen how they behave? Do you know how much they drink? You know, and so on and so forth. So we're looking for people who are respected in the, in the church community. And for all of those reasons, they're probably homegrown. So in our context, all of our site pastors, in fact, all of our staff um, come from within our own church. 
and we find it almost impossible to conceive of a situation where we would, you know, advertise in Christianity magazine, um, a site pastor, bring in a site pastor from outside our church, got none of our values, none of our history, doesn't give a monkeys about our church, uh, and then we're entrusting our people to them. That would be a very, very unlikely thing to happen. So we're probably they're probably going to be homegrown people who've had a significant um, experience of God's transforming power within our church community. So we're building a highly relational group of um, friends. Uh, we, we meet together twice a week. We uh, all eat together. They all come over to our house every three weeks for dinner, and we just eat food and laugh, and there's no business going on. Uh, we're just, you know, we're working in the same office. So this is a highly relational, knit-together group of people who would take a bullet for one another, and that's just one of the greatest joys of the whole adventure and, and really just the sweetest thing. Second one, location. Uh, there are three reasons why people would choose to attend a new site rather than just stay nice and comfortable and, and part of the site that they've always been to. The first one is the quality of the experience. That's such an American thing to say. Uh, oh, sorry, I mean, so... Um, uh, there's nothing wrong with Americans. You, yeah, exactly. We love you. We love you. Okay. We may have to part company at that point. Uh, um, so uh, what I mean is, uh, let's say it, the, the heating at your existing building is never warm enough and it's always freezing. And then suddenly people are like, oh, I could go to that site and it's really toasty in there every week. The heating works every time. I'd go there or the chairs are more comfortable or it's easier to park or you know, the, the sound is better or whatever it is. There's a whole range of reasons like that where people might choose to go and be part of that new place. Um, second one, sorry? Yeah, that's right, exactly, yeah. Uh, missional reasons. So people say, I've, I've got a heart for that place or I, you know, we're starting a site in a... In a um, you know, a council scheme, and it's, and it's hard there, and I've got a real heart to reach out to that community. I'd love to go and be part of that. Or the third one would be convenience. The most obvious one would be convenience. It's closer to where I live. And, again, that's been such an amazing strength of our model. We, we had people driving for up to an hour to come to our church in the middle of the city centre uh, and, and in, in fact, we were driving for half an hour to get to our church on a Sunday morning. And yet, we could sometimes persuade some of our non-Christian friends or neighbours to come, but they wouldn't come for long. And then they say, it's lovely, but it's just a bit too far to come. And so, um, you know, to be able to take the church to where people are is such a powerful thing. Not, not only is it more convenient for them, but they have a sense of ownership. They have a sense of, actually, you're now putting mission back into my lap, and I've got a responsibility to do something with it. If I don't reach out to my friends and invite them all to come, this thing isn't going to work. And so I've got a new sense of ownership and responsibility for it. So convenience is, a, is another thing. So we're looking for places that are between 20 and 30 minutes drive away from any existing sites. We're looking for where do our people live. And so we would never start a new, a new site in a place where we didn't have three strong small groups already established in that place, so about 30 adults or so. Um, uh, we want to start a new site in places where lots of other people live. Uh, because is it John Wimber who said uh, Jesus didn't die for thin air or 
fresh air or something like that. You know, we've got to go where the people are. And so we're often looking for where are the market towns where there are tens of thousands of people who live in that vicinity. Let's go and start it there rather than in a village with four people and a dog. Um, where, where do lots of other people live? A good parking and a good building and all of that stuff. The last one is team size. So in our context and in our experience, what we found is that, that the site pastor needs to be able to write 30 adult names on a list if, if we're going to release them to go. And three out of three. Three, zero, 30. So there's maybe not as many as you might think. Uh, and so actually what we're saying is when our sites get to about 125 or more adults sitting there during the talk on a Sunday morning, they're good to go. You know, we could launch 30 adults out of there. It still feels like there's a good chunk of adults left in the original room, and yet there's a team big enough to go and start a new site somewhere else. And we think that you can make um, fully functioning local church happen with 30 adults, although it is a little bit like, you know, didn't I just meet you? You, you know, like you go to the, the door, someone welcomes you on the door, and then it's the same person playing guitar and the same person serving the tea and coffee. It's a little bit like that. Um, but we can make it work with 30 adults. It's really hard to make it work with less because you end up in a situation where you have got all the spots filled, but there's nobody actually sitting where you're sitting. And, you know, it's like there's literally no one there. Everyone's got a job to do. So we think 30 adults. Um, and and I, I remember John Burns years ago at the NLC talking about people who can draw, draw a sword in a battle. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for people who, um, you know, we, we can add some other people to that team who perhaps got some other needs and, uh, or perhaps, you know, not quite as robust. But we're looking for 30 adults who are going to be able to put their hands to the plow and get on with something, you know, pick up some area of the church's ministry and run with it. So team size is a really important thing. Okay, I'll just sp speak for a few more minutes, and then I want to just introduce you to some people who are doing multi-site and uh, ask them some questions as well. I'm s like, do you see what I mean? Like this is, I'm rattling through this. Uh, you're all looking like um, a bit glazed over now, uh, but you need to come to a full day. If this is something that you want to explore further, um, either come and hear from us, or, or there are loads of other multi-site churches that you could go and learn from, but you'd be crazy to become a multi-site church without at least drawing from somebody else's experience. So there are, there are masses and masses of benefits for multi-site, and I'll just rattle through some of these. It's faster than church planting. You know, we're, we're talking about up and running day one. Someone can come along, they can bring their teenagers and their toddlers, and it's like, oh, this feels like church. You know, my family could find a home here. Um, we're not having to explain, well, we haven't started the kids' work yet, or we, you know, there's nothing for you yet, unfortunately, but if you stick with it for a while, then hopefully. You know, this is Sunday morning church, local church in the community, and so it is much faster. It's also more stressful. <laughs> um, it encourages masses of ownership and involvement. Um, you know, we used to have, we used to be the church 20% of the people did 80% of the work, and now it would be, I don't know, at least 80% of people who say that they're committed members of our church are serving in some area of ministry within the context of our church. So loads and loads of people have a sense of, this is my place, these are my people, I need to bring my friends here or this thing isn't going to grow. So it's, interesting. it's a really, really healthy um, sense of involvement and ownership. 
There are loads more opportunities for people to grow in their gifts. Um, like I said, we've got, we've got, uh, I think we've got something like 28 people who preach regularly in the life of our church. So again, lots of people's perception about multi-site would be, this is about the, the senior pastor's egos. You know, this is about, they don't want to release people, they just want to control things, hold on to people, and so, you know, it's just going to be the senior pastors popping up everywhere and no one else gets to do anything. It's actually the exact opposite of that. We have 11 weekend services. Between Taryn and I, we might get to four of them, and there are seven services that happen in our church that we're not at every week. So you, it's all about releasing and empowering and giving people opportunities to do stuff. You know, our preaching rota is a thing of beauty and complexity. And I'm happy to show that to anyone who wants to see it. But it's wild. So, so that means if you're, you know, it's the exact opposite. Whereas in a big church, in a big warehouse, you've got one person leading worship, one person preaching. It's like, oh my goodness, we, we, we have gaps everywhere. The whole thing is like a house of cards ready to come down at any moment. It's, it's, it's on a wing and a prayer. And it's glorious because there's no bottleneck anywhere. If you have a sense of call to something, and if it's recognized by one other human being, then almost certainly... <laughs> Almost certainly you're doing something. <laughs> Pastoral care is much easier. So in our context, you know, um, just this past weekend, we had a bit under 900 people come and be part of one of our weekend services, and yet no single service was bigger, you know, than maybe 125 adults in the talk. So actually you're breaking down this bigger number into much more manageable chunks where people can know one another and love each other and you know, fulfill a whole bunch of the Bible's commands that are really hard to fulfill when you've got a massive number of people in a room together. It maintains a family feel, which is a similar thing. It's much more resilient. So if we have a pastor blow their lives up, and praise God we never have, but that's just one part of the whole if Taryn and I were knocked over by a bus, a tram, yeah, <laughs> then actually, do you know what? Um, like I say, the worst case scenario, I'm just going to put that down. Just let it, da let it, let it die. Um, the, the, worst, the worst case scenario is that uh, each one of those sites becomes an, its own independent uh, church. That's the worst case scenario. Whereas if we were all meeting together in a one big warehouse with uh, you know, several hundred thousand pound mortgage and huge bills to pay, uh, then actually it's a much harder thing to find a successor. So we, we love that. We really love that. And that helps us to sleep at night. Some more. Um, it makes the local church so much more fruitful or makes the church local so it is more fruitful. And we talked about that already. Um, it's cheaper than buildings or extensions. You know, we could have spent 1.8 million pounds on adding a couple of hundred more seats into our building, and instead we spent 446,000 pounds, and we more than doubled in size. You're never restricted by building size. So uh, many of you will know that statistic, which changes a bit, but it's rough. You know, if you if your church fills 75% of your space, then you're full. Well, if, our, if one of our sites fills 75% of its space, we can launch a new site and then there's space again, or we can just move to another tent. You know, we can just use another hall somewhere else. And so you're never restricted by building sites in the same way. It demands a lower level of preaching gift. 
So twice a year, we gather all of our sites together, and we call it the big gathering on a Sunday. And, I, and often I've preached, and it's terrifying. You know, hundreds and hundreds of people. And, and it, you know, I, I, I'm in having cold sweats about the thought of standing up in front of all these people. And yet most people who are even just stepping out learning and preaching who you see something in, they could probably speak to 100 people. And most of our congregations are about 100 people. So actually, uh, you know, you're not looking for the mega church communicator. You're just looking for people who've got something to say, who use the Bible well, who are full of the Spirit of God. Increases geographical reach. So we now spread out across... Um, I don't know, would it be a 75-mile stretch of the Aberdeenshire coast? Uh, and that's just a glorious thing. And we're engaged in much more communities. Okay, the cost of multi-site, we don't see each other anymore. You know, some of our people have been doing church together for 25 years or more. And they've seen each other nearly every week up until when we started doing this. And now they only see each other a few times a year. And that can be really hard. And there was definitely a sense of grieving that people went through. Like, I, I, don't see, I don't see my friend anymore, and that's hard. And so we've had to f figure out ways of bringing people together. It's much more complicated. So this picture here, this is uh, when we were at four sites. This is the, um, uh, it's called Mad and Mad Mini. So our kids' ministry is called Mad, Making a Difference. And we have Mad Minis, which is like preschool age. And this is, on a Friday, all of the um, boxes being prepared with all of the equipment and all of the stuff, the resources that people need to run kids' ministry. Uh, coming, you know, it comes in on a Monday. They, they get stacked during the week. And then they go out in vans all over the northeast of Scotland on a Friday afternoon. And, and that's just one part of the whole of the ministry of our church. Um, I always look at that picture and think, why could they not have just put that box there before they took the flipping photo? But never mind. We'll just gloss over that. It just makes me, you know, twitch a wee bit. So, but you can, you can see it is much more complicated. And just, just as one example, you know, you might think, oh, we're going to serve uh, fresh fruit on a Sunday morning and, and delicious fresh donuts. And we're going to go and buy those from the wee man that we've always, you know, known for years and years, and he's going to provide them for us. And now we've got to figure out how do we purchase seven, you know, donuts in seven locations, or how do we get donuts out to seven locations? Just everything's more complicated. Uh, and so our administrative backbone has needed to be uh, strengthened every site we've started. Just figure out, okay, we need to get stronger, better at this, more systems, more processes, because otherwise people get hurt. Um, it multiplies the problems as much as it multiplies everything that's go good about your church. So if, for example, you had someone responsible for your um, crash, and they were always struggling to find volunteers, and... All the parents complained that, that, you know, it was a rubbish crash. And then you say, right, we're now going to go multi-site. We're going to do that in four different locations. Guess what? You've just multiplied your one problem into four even bigger problems. And, and so actually we're finding that all, more and more and more, the problems just get bigger and not smaller. And also as a pastor, and I'm pretty sure this is the last slide yet, you need to die to the picture of hundreds and hundreds of people under one roof. And, you know, I think it was Rick Warren said... Um, fairly recently, the only people who like big crowds are pastors. 
you know, actually, whenever we talk about, oh, you know, you must come to our thing, it's going to be hundreds and hundreds of people there. Most people are thinking, well, I'm not sure I don't want to be there then. But as pastors, we love it. We love counting the people because, you know, we count people because people matter and all of that. We love that. But in reality, when we bring all of our sites together, between a third and a half of our church say, it's a bit too far to come, or I don't like big crowds, I won't come. And so we've had to die to that picture of we're all going to be one massive church together. You know, I was looking out, uh, theoretically, we have a similar number of people in our church to the number of people who are at this conference. And I was looking at these people thinking we've never had even half of that uh, gathered together under one roof. Okay, um, uh, Rosie, could you come? And um, David, could you come? And Ali, could you come? That'd be fantastic. So I'll just, we've got nine minutes. I know, I ruined it. I don't know what I did. I think it might be something to do with that bit there. So um, you all know Rosie. You met Rosie earlier. Rosie and her husband, Andrew, lead the Birmingham Vineyard. Stellar church, absolutely brilliant. And we connected with them, would it be three or four years ago, speaking about multi-site. And I can remember being in the car with Rosie and her saying, I, I could feel it coming down the track at me, but I'm really resistant to it. So I wanted to ask Rosie, why were you resistant to becoming a multi-site church and what changed your mind? Um, yeah, we were driving in a car and I was silent because I could hear my Andrew getting all excited and Chuck and Taryn telling us all about multi-site and I was just like, I don't want to be here, I don't want to go there. I think I was still in that place where... Um, Big church equals success. Big church, all gather. I mean, it's wonderful here being here, isn't it? Don't you just love that sense of momentum and worship, and there's a, a power, and I just love it. I love the big crowds, and I was like, that's where we're aiming. And and somehow in our movement, you know, the, the, the successful pastors, the ones that lead big churches, and I had to die to something because I had to, in in considering multi-site, I had to die to the fact that actually that would be us leading in a big warehouse like Trent. Um, and, I, and I knew that if we chose to go this route, that we would grow a church that would affect Birmingham, but it would look very different to what I had in my head. Now, what I had in my head wasn't necessarily what God had in his head. And it was much better for me to lay down what was in my head and do what God had asked us to do. But it, humanly, it was a struggle, and I found it hard. And I didn't want to die to that because I love this big thing. But you get to a point where you go, well, number one, what's God calling me to do? And you have to hear him. And actually, you have to come to a realization that some people are um, unbelievably gifted and they can lead a church of 2,000 people in one room at one time. But other people, we can't do that. We're okay leaders, Andrew and I, we can lead. But we probably are not the caliber of leaders that are going to lead 2,000 people like that in one room at one time. And we, what we can do is we can lead a couple of hundred here and a couple of hundred here and a couple of hundred here. And we can grow a church of 12, 1,500 probably. I think the Lord has that for us. But not all in one room at one time. We're going to do it by planting lots of sites all over our city. So we've started. We're on, our, we're on the way. Thank you so much. Thank you. You could take a seat or something. That'd be so brilliant. Thank you. That's awesome. So Ali um, is one of our site pastors. Uh, he and his wife, Jill, have been leading one of our sites for just about two years. 
Um, and um, the question I wanted to ask Ali is, um, lots of people would have the perception that multi-site is about the ego of the senior pastors, and it's about control. You know, it's about um, us just um, uh, finding uh, people to do little jobs, but ultimately us being in control. And I just wanted to get your experience of that. Do you feel like, I mean, I was going to say, do you, feel, do you feel like we're controlling and egotistical? That's a different question. But, 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 but do you feel released and empowered, or do you feel controlled and um, belittled? What was it you wanted me to say again? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I was thinking about this, and it, um, this is not meant to offend Chuck and Tyler in any way, but it feels like, I suppose, they're the parents uh, of, of the church, and they have, they've instilled the vision and values in the core team, they've instilled the vision and values in all the sites. Um, but now the site passes, we're like kind of carrying on that mission. And we have the roles, we kind of see them and we love them and see their vision and values, but we know what works in our context. So putting those vision and values into mission is different in Stonehaven than it is to Ellen, than it is to Inverurie, to St. Macker and other places. So I guess um, we have that lovely balance of um, hearing from our spiritual mum and dad, I suppose, of saying, this is where we're going. And then for us to say, okay, how does that work in our context? So for, so for me and Jill, leading Stonehaven has been a real blessing of having that freedom and license to do our thing, but also having that opportunity that we're part of a bigger thing, that the buck doesn't always stop with us for some things. And I think that's been a real safety net for us as young leaders coming through and developing. So uh, you're not an egomaniac at all, mate. <laughs> so, um, uh, Ali, you hadn't um, pastored a church before, you hadn't led a site before, um, so in one sense you came into this thing um, without masses of experience in that particular field. So how does the multi-site thing help you? Uh, yeah, it helps in, se in the sense of, um, I suppose, safety nets and tight ropes. Um, so the safety net of having the wider thing there, Chuck mentioned about us meeting together um, kind of every kind of month or every three weeks. Um, and for me and Jill, that's been moments to just be like, we have this situation, this pastoral situation, which to us feels massive and huge, that we can then say to another site pastor, how did you deal with that? And then our first for all those situations then becomes much more regular, that then the next site pastors, they're coming to these meals and be like, how on earth do you deal with that situation? And we can go, well, this is what we did. And then they can kind of bring that. So that's been really helpful. And I think just growing and developing our gifts as well. Um, I would have never, if we'd been a big church of 2,000 people, never got the opportunity to preach as regularly as I do, to feel that that's a gift that God's given me for Jill, for her to lead worship in the way that she does. And just have those opportunities and to see um, the development of other people through that has been amazing. So I think it's been Massive for me in terms of personal, uh, but also in terms of my leadership. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, I think it's really important. Like one of the things we love about it is that we can put people into position, really significant positions of leadership, really early on in their journey. We're playing as a team. Um, you know, there was one particular site where nearly every marriage seemed to be collapsing at the same time, uh, and 
you know, during that process, the site passers were able to draw on the other site passers to kind of come in to help in certain situations. And then they then become, became experts at dealing with some of these really difficult situations. And so now, then they became the go-to people when anyone else had difficult situations that they were facing. So we're playing as a team, which is just, just a glorious thing. Uh, David Bass and his wife Nicola lead Life Vineyard uh, in Tyneside, and you are now a multi-site church. Uh, so how did you come to be a multi-site church? What attracted you to that? Um, so I don't know whether you know much about the northeast of England. It's um, quite tribal. So the, there's lots of localities where the local people probably wouldn't travel from a few miles down the road. So what we found ourselves with is a church that's made up of lots of people who maybe weren't originally from the northeast of England who would travel in to church from quite some distance. Um, and also, the same scenario, we weren't, it was hard to bring people to church or invite them to church because they lived a distance away from where we met. And um, we went away for a couple of days on holiday just to think and pray and spend some time. And we just got this sort of, um, well, why don't we go and do stuff where they are? And then the multi-site day came up, which I'd highly recommend you go to on the 20th of Feb, because it changed everything for us. Because it was like that light bulb moment. We thought, well, actually, if we did church in the localities where these people are, we can engage with the local people and not just kind of fight over those people who will travel half an hour to come to church. And that's exactly what's happened. We started with a team of 40 in our first site. And it's pretty much doubled. Um, and the people have come from the locality, apart from the first person who came from half an hour away and who got saved, um, which was a complete anomaly, I think. But, um, but you know, the, the local people are coming and the small groups are popping up in the locality. And you just can imagine, 10 years down the line, lots of these things happening all over the place and as impacting many, many hundreds and thousands of people across Tyneside that we would never do in one location. Yeah, you could gather the same number of Christians in one location, but you can't touch as many lives in one location. And I think that for us as a missional-minded church is exactly the reason we went to Multisite. Brilliant. Thank you so much. That's awesome. Brilliant. Fantastic. So let me just finish by saying this. Um, if you are about to embark on a building project, then I think to be good stewards of the money that you're about to spend, you have to think and pray about this. And if, if you are more than 150 adults gathering together in your community, and there's a community down the road that isn't well uh, served by life-giving churches, then I think as part of your stewardship of your region, you've got to think about well, what would it mean for us to, to think about that community and how we could do something in that community. And then, um, just as part of a, the vineyard family, you, you, you know, I just think this is part of our answer. You know, when we think about what would it look like to double the number of worshipping and missional communities that we have in this nation or these nations, what would it look like to kind of see expressions, vineyard expressions of church in local communities all over the nations? I just think this is part of it. It's not the whole answer. And like I say, we're planting churches as well in places that are miles and miles away from where we are. And that's a glorious thing. But we love this and we're so grateful to God for it. Why don't I just pray and then we'll um, uh, break up. 
Lord, we're so grateful to you for everything that you're doing in our movement. We're grateful to you for what you're doing in each one of the churches represented in this room this afternoon. And what we most want is to be led by your spirit, Jesus. I just keep coming back to that, that moment where Jesus says, put your nets on the other side of the boat, and suddenly they've got you know, too many fish. They can't, they can't contain all of the fish. And that's what we want, Jesus. We just want you to say where to, we put our nets. And then our commitment to you, Jesus, is that we'll obey. We'll listen for your voice, and then we'll obey. Amen. Amen. Brilliant. Thanks so much. Come and visit us at a multi-site day or uh, get in touch on the email address or come to one of our other multi-site days or never speak to us again. Great to see you. (laughs)